Friday, November 10, 2017. This is Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. And no more exciting day in my calendar year to year than November 10, as many of us know, the Marine Corps birthday. On November 10, 1775, a Corps of Marines was created by a resolution of Continental Congress. Since that date, many thousands of men and women have borne the name Marine. In memory of them, it is fitting that we who are Marines should commemorate the birthday of our Corps by calling to the mind the glories of its long and illustrious history. That is item one on Marine Corps order signed by John A. Lejeune, Major General Commandant. I hope all of my fellow devil dogs out there are celebrating safely and appropriately. I hope you're getting some cake. Today, I will be out and about uh, at different organizations. I'm going to hope probably at at American University. I'm going to swing by uh, some other places around D.C. that are recognizing Veterans Day. Uh, Today, as we know, the the federal government and other uh, entities recognize, um, you know, weekend holidays on uh, the Friday before. And so today I'm going to be around uh, with some of my teammates and we're going to be doing some coverage around here. And we'll, of course, be curating uh, images and stories from around the nation at places that are doing the same. Uh, I highly recommend that you follow us on Twitter at DEPT Vet Affairs. We are on Instagram and Snapchat under the same handle, facebook.com slash veterans affairs. And of course, we have our blog, blogs.va.gov. It's called Vantage Point. That is where we, we curate everything that comes to us. We, we All of our coverage of events um, in the veteran space around VA, uh, events that involve the secretary, we spotlight all of that stuff. And so if, um, if those are stories or events that interest you, I highly recommend uh, you follow us on your platform of choice. Being the Marine Corps birthday, had to feature a Marine on the podcast today. So today we are featuring uh, Marine Corps veteran Craig Grossi. Now, you may have actually seen that name floating around the internet recently. I think uh, the Dodo even did a, a, um, a video on him and his dog. Um, he was doing intelligence work for Marine Recon back in 2010 uh, in a remote part of Afghanistan. And while he was on patrol, he spotted a young dog uh, that he that he became friends with. And he, you'll learn from his story, but managed to get this dog back to the United States. Um, it's a really cool story. Uh, Craig recently wrote a book about uh, wrote a book on it. Uh, it's called Craig and Fred. Uh, a Marine, a stray dog, and how they rescued each other. Craig's going to talk to us about his service, about uh, his transition, and we're going to learn about Fred the Afghan, which is uh, how is how he refers to the dog. Uh, we're going to learn how uh, he made the decision to bring Fred home and the challenge that that was. Enjoy. My grandfather served in World War II. Spending time with him were the best memories of my life. I became a physician at VA because of my grandfather, so I can help others like him. I can't imagine working with better doctors or a more dedicated staff. I'm fulfilling my life's mission with the help of my team and thanks to these veterans. I'm proud to be a doctor at VA and proud to honor my grandfather every day. Search VA careers to find out more. Okay, Craig Grossi. Uh, you recently 
wrote a uh, wrote a book called Craig and Fred about you and uh, uh, and your best friend. You are a Marine Corps veteran. Uh, but before we get into your book and other aspects of um, of your life, we're going to focus on. Uh, we're going to start with the one thing that we all have in common as veterans, and that's the decision to join the United States military. Bring us back to that decision for you. Yeah. So it, it was. Um, you know. It, it, it was a it was a big one, obviously, but it, it was something that I I took I took a while to really process, and, and I think I think that ended up helping me in the end because it was really at you know by the time I joined it it was uh, you know it was pretty clear in my head. So you know if it had been up to me, I would have I would have you know in, kind of enlisted before graduating high school and done that whole thing. And because and, and, I, I knew after after my senior year that the last thing I wanted was was more school, but somehow my dad convinced me to, to at least just give community college a try for a semester. So after, after uh, my senior year of high school, I, I was working, delivering pizzas and, and going to community college. And it was just, it, it was essentially to me just kind of delaying the inevitable, but, but I, I wanted to appease my dad. So uh, after, uh, after uh, kind of faking the funk at, at community college for a little while, I, uh, I decided, okay, like this is, you know, I still want to join the Marines. I still want to be in the military. I still want to serve the country, you know, and it was that much more, you know, kind of, um, you know, strong in, in, uh, in, in my mind. So, um, yeah, in 2003, I, I, uh, enlisted in, into the, into the Marine Corps. That's awesome. Simplify. Yeah. Um, what, uh, so, you know, um, the motto of the VA is to, to care for those that have borne the battle and for uh, their widow and uh, an orphan. Um, tell us a story about how you borne the battle in the military, whether whether it was literal combat or another challenge uh, that you faced while serving. Yeah, so I mean, my my first four years, uh, I, I served in a in a pretty unique role in terms of the. You know the, the the wars we were fighting and the, the conflicts we were in. I, I ended up working in the corrections field, uh, which I had little or no interest in uh, prior to joining. But I was in the military police corrections uh, field, and I ended up serving in in Guantanamo Bay in, in Camp Delta and dealing with um, with the enemy combatants that were detained down there on a, on a daily basis. And and that was uh, that was a different kind of of experience in terms of just fighting a, a fight and, and having to, um, you know, to, to take care of the enemy essentially in terms of like feeding them and making sure they were clean and, 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 you know, safe and, and well taken care of. And, and at the same time also, you know, making sure that, that they, um, you know, weren't going to harm us or harm any of the other people that worked in the facility. And, um, so that was a very unique and, and often frustrating, um, role to play as a young Marine, you know, while while my fellow Marines were were off, you know, invading Fallujah and fighting in, in Afghanistan, you know, it was um, you know, it was not the the duty that me or, or a lot of the other Marines I was with really envisioned for ourselves. But um, you know, you 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 play the role that that you you're supposed to play, and you and you do your your best job no matter no matter what it is. So, um, and then yeah, and then I, after my first four years, I, I actually ended up getting out for a little while, and then uh, uh, I really missed it. You know, and after those after those first four years, I figured out, the, you know, a really important thing, but a relatively simple thing. And that was, I, I loved being a Marine and, and I wanted to keep doing it. I just didn't want to be in corrections anymore. Um, and that was when I, I found my place. I really found uh, a home for myself in terms of just a field that really challenged me and really demanded the most of me. 
physically and mentally, and, and that was the, the field of, of human human intelligence, and, um, and and that was that was where I really felt like I, I hit my stride in terms of um, being able to serve and, and the best of my ability, and that was when I I was able to get on a, a deployment team to to Afghanistan. Okay, very cool. Um, yeah, to, yeah. You know, it, it's um, I, I'm glad to hear that because I think one thing. Um, that some veterans and I don't, I, I'm not going to throw out an arbitrary number, but I'm, I'm sure some veterans um, look back at their military, especially when we learn what jobs are available in the military. Then we get out and we're like, right. Oh, I, I could have done that. Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. What was right. I doing pushing boxes around, you know? And so it's, I'm glad to hear yeah. that you were able to find a calling and a, in a, in a purpose that fit your character better while you were still in and not having to that only be hindsight. Yeah. Yeah, that was that, I, I was really um, really lucky to, to be able to do that, and I think it, it was it was just kind of essentially boiled down to me being kind of stubborn with the recruiters and with with myself, and just like I just I knew there was something out there I, like that that was would be a, a good fit for me, and and um, I was really determined to to find it, and and that's you know that's that's kind of what what led me to to just being on the phone a lot and finding you know just talking to different people and and um yeah and it was it was worth uh it was worth the the effort yeah absolutely what um so what prompted your transition out of the military then uh yeah coming coming home it was I'm, i've always been big on on signs and just kind of on listening to the to the world you know and it's going to tell you what what path you're supposed to go down and, and when i when i came home i had every intention of of, uh, of re-enlisting and, and doing another four uh, but the the unit I, I ended up coming back to was a reserve unit, and there was just there was nobody was really interested in in helping me reenlist. And it's not you know it's not like uh, you know those of us that have reenlisted it's it's not it's not easy. You know you need like a a bunch of admin people to help you with the paperwork, and you need a lot of signatures, and you need a lot of stuff. And there there was just we were we were showing up for our post deployment stuff, and it was. The, the unit we were at was just empty, you know, and the leadership didn't really know who we were. It was kind of just a shell of a uh, of my last you know month and a half in the Marine Corps was just just showing up to an empty office, and I had the paperwork, but I didn't really know how to even get started with something like that, and so it, it kind of was just a sign to me that I, it was time to time to move on, and you know, and the more I thought about my deployment to Afghanistan and, and how incredible it was and challenging it was and how the, the the friends I made and the the places we went and the way we were able to operate um, specifically like that chances like that uh, weren't gonna come around again in my mind um, and I, I was worried that if I tried to deploy to deploy again that I would just be frustrated um, you know with the circumstances and I, and I would just end up just missing the guys I was with because we we were really close and we still are. Um, and, and so I, it just it seemed to me to be a, a good, you know, to, there seemed to be more signs to, to to transition than there were to stay in. So I made it wasn't an easy decision, but I I made the decision to just kind of let my um, contract expire and, and 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 move on into the into the government and, and try to try to start a career in the civilian sector within intelligence. So tell us. Um... You know, whatever you're willing, uh, you know, whatever you're comfortable with sharing. But when you, after you transitioned out, um, you know, a lot of veterans experience some sort of emotional crisis or emotional challenge. Is that something that you experienced? 
Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, I didn't realize that I was having a, a crisis or a challenge, but yeah, looking back and especially once I started writing and, and, and uh, really exploring my own experiences through, 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 um, through writing and this, through storytelling, um, I could, I see now, you know, that, yeah, I was, I was really struggling um, because it, I, I, I thought, you know, I thought what I needed was to just kind of keep moving and to just kind of find a job and find a role within society and within, um, you know, just professionally that, that made sense. And, and, uh, you know, I just started, you know, what a lot of us do, especially that, you know, we just start checking boxes, you know, like doing a, doing a flight check or doing a gear check, you know, you all right, I got this, I got that, you know, I got a good job. I got, you know, the next four years, I got a little plan and I, you know, and it, it and the more boxes I checked, the more kind of unfulfilled I felt. And I, I realized that it, to me, it wasn't really about, um, you know, these, these kind of material kind of superficial things. It was really just about doing something that I felt was worthy of, of my time and energy. And, and cause that's what I loved about my job in the Marine Corps. And that's what I loved about serving in general was just that, you know, you knew you were making a difference, you know, big or small, you knew that the, the people you served with every day, you know, demanded the best of you and you were surrounded by, by awesome people. And, and that, um, that was what was important. And it wasn't, now it was just hard to find that, you know, getting out and, and working in the civilian world, it was, it was just harder to find that. And so, um, I started to kind of, um, you know, just kind of lash out just at, at myself and really just beat myself up, um, you know, in terms of, you know, like, like we should have stayed in or, you know, like, what are you doing? Like, you're just not, you know, you, you made it back to Afghanistan and this is what, you know, this is what you're up to now. Like, this is, you know, I just kind of was really hard on myself. And, um, yeah, so that was, that was a tough, a tough corner to turn, but Fred was, Fred was a big help coming home to Fred every day and, um, and having his, his just positive energy and, um, he was just kind of a, a really, and he still is just a, a really strong reminder of, of what, you know, what I'm capable of and, and something that, something that's good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So let's, I mean, let's talk about Fred, um, on, um, your book, uh, Craig and Fred, a Marine, a stray dog and how they rescued each other, uh, went on sale October 31st. Um, I have, um, uh, I've seen that you're making the rounds on talking about this book. A couple friends of mine yeah. on Facebook have posted about how they've gotten your advanced copy and are excited to have you on their podcast. So, um, oh, that's great. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad to see that, uh, that you're exercising the podcast network for what it, for yeah. what it is. Um, but yeah, tell, it's really great. Yeah, tell I mean, so tell us about Fred. Tell us, you know, wherever you think that story best begins. Tell us about tell, tell us about Fred. Yeah, so I mean, we were I, I ended up getting attached. To, uh, to first recon as their uh, their sole uh, kind of intel collector and, and um, we headed in, into Sangin actually in October or, uh, early October maybe actually might have been late September um, of 2010 and we were ready for the worst um, you know all the analysts and everybody had told us you know how rough Sangin was and how how the how bold the Taliban were and, um, and so we really prepared you know for for the fight of our lives and and, and they didn't disappoint. I mean, that those first uh, four or five days, we were just completely surrounded by, um, new, like, just like lots of little groups of Taliban that were uh, very coordinated and very um, tenacious in terms of their um, attacks. And 
um, we just kind of held on and, and the, the recon guys were just incredibly brave and, and, and incredibly professional in terms of, of beating, beating each wave of, of attacks back. Um, and, uh, it was in between kind of the, the gunfights that I would see Fred, I would see, you know, see little text, little glimpses of him, you know, poking around the compound we were in and, uh, with a little piece of food or, you know, or just kind of sniffing around the trash pile or whatever. And, um, I always thought he was kind of a funny looking little guy and I, I, I but I didn't really let myself, you know, think too much about him until things kind of died down a couple of days later and the Taliban kind of um kind of took a took a more of a passive role and, and where I think they were just their tactics changed and they were just more worried about trying to restrict our movement with IEDs and, and uh and things like that. So um I took it upon myself to to kind of go over and check him out because he it was kind of a slow day and uh, he was a, a funny looking, like kind of cool little dog. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm a dog guy. I've always loved dogs. And, and, um, and so I walked over to him with a piece of beef jerky and, and, uh, as I got kind of closer to him, I could see he's covered in bugs and, and dirt and he was hot and, and just really kind of uncomfortable because these bugs were burrowing into his neck and kind of on the skin on his head. And, and I, I was like, man, he looks rough. And, but as I got a little closer, he started to to wag his tail, and that, <laughs> that you know, like that right there to me is just Fred. It's everything, you know. It's his message to to me and to all of us, you know. And like, despite having every reason in the world to to growl or or snap or be nasty, you know, um, he wagged his tail, and and that you know sent a message to me, you know, that he was approachable and that you know he he wanted to to engage with me, and and that changed his life and it changed my life for the better you know and, and so after that first kind of encounter he he slowly started to win I, I'm a big softy but um you know I always have been and, and he but one by one he kind of won over the the recon guys and before after a day or two everybody was like kind of rooting for him and hoping that that he would you know that I would find a way to, to get him out you know and because but it was that was a easier said than done you know and uh but you know just throughout that whole mission he he proved himself again and again and uh ultimately it was it was just kind of something i that had to be done like he fred was too cool to, to leave behind and he was too special to to uh to not at least try to, to get him home so that's that's what i did yeah you you snuck him into camp leatherneck in a duffel bag is that right yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah, that tell was us, tell us the logistics yeah. on that. Yeah, I mean, so it, it was. I left it up to Fred because ultimately, I, I really didn't want to feel like I was stealing him or like I was forcing him, you know, because we we were we were going to head back to to after about a month, maybe a month and a half, um, we were going to head back to Leatherneck and take like a two week break and and then come right back out into Sangin, and so. Uh, you know, it was, it was it, like, I knew maybe I could get him back to Leatherneck, but I had no plan from there. And, um, I knew that I would be taking him from an environment that was much more dangerous for me, but relatively safer for him to an environment that was safer for me, but to, like, completely deadly for him. Like if he was caught, he would, he would have been euthanized. Um, you know, there's no doubt in my mind. And, and I, I mean, I, I would have faced some consequences, but ultimately I would have just very selfishly kind of killed this dog, you know? And so I, 
I, like I said before, in terms of, you know, the way I make decisions, like I, I've always kind of just looked for signs and I, and so the, the couple of hours before we extracted, you know, everybody was kind of in my ear about like, Hey, you got to get him out of here. You got to get him out of here. And I was like, look, I'm going to leave it up to him. And so I, I knelt down and I looked Fred right in his little face. And I was like, look, man, like if you want this, if you want to give this a shot, you know, and then I need to see something. I need to see one more thing out of you. Like if you actually follow me to the helicopter and you're not scared off by all the noise and rocks and dust and everything that happens when a helicopter comes down, uh, you know, then I'll, that's, that's it. Like, I'll know. I'll know that you're my dog and I'll do whatever it takes to get you home. And so I had, I was ready. I had a, a little duffel bag kind of crammed into my cargo pocket and um, I told the guys that were in my in my stick that you know like hey if Fred's coming like you know like you might need to help me grab him and, and get him in this bag and and so sure enough the helicopter comes the 53 comes comes uh, tumbling in and and we we start making our moves and it kicked up it was a little bit of a brownout and it kicked up a, a serious cloud and so I was just trying to keep an eye on on the guy in front of me so I didn't lead the whole stick out into the wrong direction and and uh, we're making our way through the cloud and and I feel a little poke at my heel and I look down and. And uh, he's there, and it's Fred, and, and he is absolutely terrified. And <laughs> he's, like, he's, he's like, his eyes are practically closed. He's squinting so hard, and he's like kind of crawling. But he's there, and he's and he's moving, and he's coming. And that that was all I needed to see. So I pulled a duffel bag out of my pocket, and um, one of my buddies comes up behind me and, and grabs him by the neck, and we stuffed him in it just like a piece of gear, and we made our way onto the onto the fifty three and. And that was the, the first leg of his of his journey uh, to his new life here in the states. And I always just like to say, I mean, he, he rode on a helicopter before he ever went on a car ride. You know, <laughs> not, a lot, not a lot of dogs that can say that, you know. And it's just such a such a cool thing because I mean, you know, they they have to train military working dogs to run onto helicopters and, and do do things like that, you know. And here he is, um, you know, doing it all on his own. Like that that was such a game changer for me. And I. I um, you know, I look back on that, and I when I was writing that part, when I read that part of the book, like I still have like the sweats. Like I, I can't believe that I did that. I can't believe that we we pulled it off. You know, and then he he followed me to that to that machine. You know, like it's just crazy. Yeah, um, you know, just you know, give us the abbreviated version of because I know people in the audience are curious. Give us the abbreviated yeah. version of how. He made how Fred made it from that helicopter to your your family in Virginia. Yeah, I mean it was just one little kind of miracle after another. In turn, I mean just um, so we had a two week break back back at Leatherneck, and I figured out pretty quickly that I was only going to be able to hide him in my room uh, for so long. Like it was only a matter of time before he barked or just made noise or somebody kind of kind of leaked that there was a dog in this room because we were hiding him in there during the day and then I would walk him around at night uh, so he could go to the bathroom. And uh, so I, I made my way over to this this facility, the shipping facility that was run by DHL, the shipping company. And um, and they were it was all staffed by third country nationals, the, the sweetest people in the world. They were um, all from the, uh, different parts of Africa and, and uh, Indonesia and, um, and Philippines and I kind of just floated the idea to them about like shipping, like, Hey, hypothetically, if I had a dog, you know, could I ship it home? And they just, they, the one guy saw right through me and was like, like, bring, bring this dog here. Like I want to meet this dog. And, and so I brought Fred over and, 
and Fred took care of the rest. Fred is just is a real charmer, and, and he, he uh, you know, he's such a good boy, and they, they, those guys instantly loved him, and so they practically volunteered to watch him for me and take care of him while I went back out into the field. And so now that he had at least a, a temporary place to stay, I felt, I felt pretty good about going back out into the field. And, and my sister is back in the States and she, she's going through all the paperwork and just tracking down all the forms that, that needed to get taken care of and needed to be filled out. And, um, and then on that, on my second mission into saying, and I ended up getting hit with a rocket blast landed right behind me and it gave me a pretty nasty uh, concussion and, and I had to get medevac to get checked out. And uh, that ended up being a blessing because uh, it ended, like, once I got out of the, out of the concussion center and out of the hospital, uh, I'm in the way over to the DHL compound and, and, um, and just to kind of figure out what forms needed to be filled out. And I, and I figured out pretty quickly too, that there was, there were no vets that were going to, vaccinate and quarantine a dog I wasn't supposed to have uh the best I could do was get him to a British vet and have her she gave him agreed to give him an exam but she wouldn't go on record or, or, or be able to vaccinate him but she gave him a quick exam just for peace of mind and um and then from there it was just a matter of, of uh of getting the right forms and, and filling them out and putting them on a on a plane and shipping them home and, and it was it was a little shady and it was a little hasty, but it was all, um, you know, it was all worth it. It was, it was all worth, you know, worth the risk to, to, and worth kind of bending the rules here, here and there just to, to get this, this special dog um, home. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah. That's a great story, man. I, I'm a dog lover myself. My Springer Spaniel is curled up right behind my heels at the moment. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. He, he was he was three feet away from me, but that's too far, right? So he had to get cuddled right. up right, right behind me. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, so then, you know, the, the, you know, I guess the second part of this story, right, is, you know, you helped get Fred back, uh, to the United States. And then once you separated, Fred kind of helped you transition, right, and, and cope with some of um, some of uh, your situation. Tell us about that part of the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he just, it's just, I mean, you're a dog lover, you know, it's just the, the power of, of the relationship and the bond that we have, you know, with, with our animals and with our dogs, uh, you know, it, it's really immeasurable. And, and for me, um, you know, Fred would just, he just never let me have a bad day. And, and he's so just tuned in to, to me and to, to what's going on. And, you know, anytime I, I would feel too stressed out, you know, or, or just anytime I feel like even my mind was, going to, to, to the wrong place or in the wrong direction, you know, Fred just kind of be there, you know, and he would just kind of come over and sit on my foot, you know, or, or sometimes he would practically like throw my running shoes at me, you know, and we would, we would just, we were living in, in Washington DC at the time and we would just hit the street and we would just run and run all the monuments and, and just spend, you know, hours outside um, together. And that, you know, at the time I, I didn't, I don't know how much I realized how valuable um, his, his presence was like just, just him being there and being consistent. Um, but through writing and through kind of exploring my own journey, like I, I, I really see just, um, his, his influence uh, on me and how important, uh, it's been. And so that's, I, that's one of the reasons I, I wanted to really share the story and share our story is, is to, because it's, you know, as special as it is to me and, and as meaningful as it is to me, it's, it's not unique. It, you know, people, people 
love dogs and people love, you know, their, their animals. And we, we all can appreciate them, you know, and, and if you don't have one in your life, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it'll motivate people to, to think about it and to, to, to include a, a dog in their life because it's only going to make it better. Absolutely. Uh, Craig, I know that, um, you know, I've, I, I've done some writing myself. I know that the habit and the routine and just the execution of, of, uh, writing can be daunting and it's t- it sometimes it's difficult to get through it. But um, yeah. is, there, is there any like discipline or skill set that you got from the military that you think helped in your process of writing? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that's a good question. I, I think I've always loved to write, and I, I think that I essentially kind of had to had to work my way back to realizing that. And I think going back to school was a big part of that. But in terms of the discipline and in terms of the kind of commitment that it takes to, to really write, um, that's, that's where my military uh, service and, and uh, really kicked in because, um, and I think also just something that we all, we all um, have to experience in the military for better or worse, is just patience and, and being, being able to, to really commit to, to being patient. And, and, and so um Cause yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't rush writing and uh, just like when you show up for a morning formation, like the, you know, you're going to be, you know, you show up at, at, at zero to six, you know, you're going to be standing there until just before eight o'clock before you actually yeah. step off. And so it's it, as frustrating as that always was, you knew, you knew that's just what had to be done. And, and, and so in terms of, of writing, you know, you, sometimes you sit down and you write for three hours and it's all garbage, but it's useful there's no, there's no bad way to write. And even if you don't use a single sentence from what you wrote over those three hours, it's, it's still there and it's still something that you did and it's going to build, you're going to build from that. And so, um, I think, you know, just, yeah, just my, my military service and the, the discipline and the, the patience, um, really, really kind of played a, a huge role in, in terms of just being able to, uh, to see the, the long-term kind of goal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is there um is there a veteran or a veteran organization that you're familiar with that has you excited about what they're doing right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a uh, there's so many awesome ones and, and I I uh just personally I've really benefited from um the camaraderie uh, and the just the awesome um uh, uh, opportunities that I've had through the USA Warriors hockey program. Um, it's a, it's, it's a nonprofit that, that regardless of, you know, injury, uh, we have, they have, they have two different hockey teams. Um, one that's sled, like, have you ever, have you ever seen sled hockey? It's, it's phenomenal. These guys sit on these little buckets with blades strapped to the bottom of them and they hook around on the ice, like super fast. It's incredible to watch. They have a, a whole sled program. We actually have a couple of guys that have come from that program and gone on to the U S Olympic sled team. Um, which is awesome. And then they have a, a traditional standing, standing team. And, uh, and it's, you know, if you've never played before at all, or you, you know, you played before your injury, like they, they get you out on the ice and, and uh, get you playing the, the game of hockey. And, um, and it, that's a really awesome thing because it's such a great combination of, uh, of veterans and hockey. Like they're just kind of made for each other. And, um, and that, that was, that was a big part of my, like just being able to go, I, I was speaking with them a lot, um, when I first got out of the 
out of the Marines and just every week going and, and playing with those guys was just a, a really special thing. And, and they're still at it and they, they have programs, um, you know, not just in the DC area, but also, you know, all over the country. And, um, and that's, that's a really, a really awesome and exciting um, program. And then um, the Veterans Writing Project is also a really great thing. That's they, they do these um, writing courses for veterans, regardless of, and also for family members of veterans, um, you know, they just encourage you to write and just give you kind of the tools to approach your story. And I think that's kind of what a lot of us are, you know, need is just the, the basic kind of tools and, and um, you know, just to kind of be able to just kind of grasp, you know, that we have a story to tell and, and, and it is important. And that was a big realization for me when I went to one of their uh, weekend kind of boot camp things, you know, that, um, you know, that it, it, everybody's story is, is worth telling. And, and that really, kind of charged me up and, and sent me, you know, just kind of into the, into the depths of, of writing. Um, so yeah, those are, those are two that I've got personal kind of affiliations with. And, um, and it also uh, TAPS is a really great organization. Um, yeah. Treasury Assistance yeah. And it, I, I do um, some fundraising for them every year and it's just, I think their grief counseling and, and their the services that they provide for family members and, and, and service members too, who have lost loved ones or friends. Um, the, the impact that they have is, is huge. It's so important, especially for the kids, um, you know, just being able, even if they go to this one thing a year to be in the same room as, as another kid who also lost their, their parent, you know, or loved one um, who served like that's, is, that, that is um, just such a special program. So I, those are, I mean, I could go on and on. There's so many awesome, uh, yeah. there's so many awesome programs out there that, that are, are helping people and, and veterans and, and, uh, yeah, so I'm I'm excited to learn more about you know some of the other ones that that work with dogs specifically and um you know and and through this through this process so yeah very cool yeah the um taps uh, obviously uh, um, a great program the veterans writing project I'm familiar with I know that uh, a lot of veterans appreciate being about them USA Warriors <laughs> hockey one one that that's uh, new to me I'll have to check that out that sounds kind of cool yeah yeah check them out they do they do um a lot of events too around, around the DC area Well, they'll go and, um, you know, they'll play like a, play a game against like former caps players or, you know, it, uh, you know, and they'll have like a fundraiser and, and stuff like that. So yeah, the, the couple times a year they'll do, do something like that with them. That's always fun to go and, and, and see. Yeah. Are you, uh, are you a caps fan yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm afflicted with, uh, with being <laughs> a caps fan. Yeah. My whole life. I, I've, it's, uh, I've, my very, I went to my very first game in like I think third or fourth grade, and and I've been uh, been hooked ever since. Yeah, it's um, I'm I'm not too big on hockey, but uh, I do root for the Capitals, and each year I watch my friends just get excited every postseason and then let oh, yeah. down oh, almost yeah. immediately. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's a it's a yearly gut punch for sure. Yeah, but, I think I think this is our year should just become their their team <laughs> motto. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, we should just embrace it at this point. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, oh, Craig, man. thank you so much for joining us. It's it was a real pleasure talking to you. I'm a huge, I'm a yeah, dog person myself, you know. So it was it was nice to to talk to a fellow dog lover, and I really look forward to reading the yeah. book. Oh, thanks a lot, Tim. Yeah, I can't wait can't wait for you to read it. This was great, and, and thanks for taking the time to, to have us on. And um, if people want to follow Fred on our adventures and and uh, you know and, and keep up with with everything we're up to, they can just go to our website. It's just Fred the Afghan dot com 
And if you're looking for us on social media, it's it's at, uh, Fred the Afghan. It's just at Fred the Afghan. It's all all of our stuff is easy to find. So looking forward to to your listeners, um, you know, getting involved, and, and we're looking forward to hearing more stories in, in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, in case anybody was inspired and wants to read more about this, the book released October 31st. I'm assuming it's available on Amazon and all the usual places. Yep. Every yeah, all your, all your usual places. Yep. Easy to find. Okay. Great. Craig Grossi, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Take care. When my husband came home from Vietnam, he didn't really look into all his VA benefits. But now I've got some health issues, and I'm glad VA is there for me. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. If you're interested in more of Craig's story, fredtheafghan.com is the website. Uh, there's information about the book and more information just about uh, Craig and Fred's story. Uh, so check that out if you're interested. In it. I have a copy that I'm getting through right now, and it's, it's really well written, and I'm definitely enjoying the story. Today's Veteran of the Day is Marine Corps veteran Robert Pacheca. Robert served in the Marine Corps for 255 days. He enlisted on February 9, 1968. He completed boot camp in San Diego and individual training regiment at Camp Pendleton. Robert arrived in Vietnam in August and was assigned as a rifleman with H Company, 2nd Battalion, 1st Marines, 1st Marine Division. On October 22, 1968, he was killed from an exploding satchel charge on Hill 10 or Hand Grenade Hill in Quang Nam Province. His final resting place is Indiana home, Oklahoma. Robert is decorated with a combat action ribbon, Vietnam service medal, Vietnam campaign with the 1960 device, and the Vietnam gallantry cross. We want to say happy birthday to this late Marine, and we honor his service. To read Robert's full write-up and to nominate your own vet of the day, visit blogs.va.gov. That wraps up episode 60, a very Marine Corps-themed podcast to celebrate the Marine Corps birthday. Uh, I hope all of you are having a safe and fun holiday should you be having the day off. If not, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast. Uh, Tomorrow, we'll have a short Veterans Day message here on the podcast and then right back to normal programming on Monday. And I have a special treat as I end this podcast. Thomas Begay, Navajo Code Talker, In honor of Native American Heritage Month and the Marine Corps birthday, Thomas Begay will sing the Marine Corps hymn in his native dialect. The United States Marine.